I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to another episode of Wim Radio. Uh, I'm your host for tonight, Peter. Um, unfortunately, again, Kyle couldn't make it this week, um, but we do have uh, the same crew as we had last time. Uh, so starting off uh, this time, I'm going to start off with JJ. How's it going tonight? I am doing as well as can be expected on this, the greatest night ever. <laughs> yeah, it's like like, like now it's kind of like in, in pandemic adjusted terms. Right? Yeah, exactly. I'm doing pretty well. I'm doing pretty well for not being able to really go anywhere or do anything and et cetera, but that's my fine. greatest night uh, ever relative is, is decently high. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and also joining us as, as has been usual lately is Sarah. How's it going, Sarah? I don't know how I can follow up on what JJ said, but yeah, as well as can be expected. I think this week went fast, but mm-hmm. I don't know. It kind of, but it still feels like a continuation of last week. But I'm glad to be here and talking about the Red Wings and pretending that's everything's good to go. Yeah, it's weird because as we're recording this, it's April 30th, which means that tomorrow is May 1st. And it's kind of like I'm like, is it allowed to not be April? Like, like, are we allowed to get out of this month? Because it feels like this month has lasted for five years. I'm not ready for all the like, it's going to be May tweets. I just like if there's a way I could just block that. (laughs) From being on my timeline, the whole like no one, everyone's gonna tweet that at me now. <laughs> don't, don't. Yeah, I might. You know what? Just to switch things up, I might just like pretend like it's October first and and tweet the the Billy Joe Armstrong joke. Wake up! Time to wake up. Time to end it. <laughs> We uh, we're going to start off with a little bit of uh, kind of basic NHL talk um, because there hasn't really been too much new. Uh, it's been a lot of uh, pretty much just a different way to say the same thing that they've been saying. That they are looking in, uh, you know, looking for ways to, uh, you know, either finish the season, you know, finish the season, however that means. If it means starting with the playoffs, if it means having some other regular season games, um, but like it. You know, we keep seeing these things floated, um, and it's kind of hard to tell what's actually real. You know, like, or not real, but like you know, what is uh, like an actual potential uh, outcome for this season? Uh, so, as we're recording this, uh, there was some information. Uh, basically, Gary Bettman was talking today, um, and uh, he was on NHL Network, and basically, pretty much saying most of the same things. Uh, but the the one thing that I saw that it was a little bit different is that now um, they're saying kind of more uh, again maybe floating this idea that uh, the plan could be uh, for next season to start later, which is something that we talked about um, as a possibility. And right now they're talking about possibly December. Um, it says uh, basically some sources are saying that they're that they're looking at either. December 15th, roughly, or uh, um, immediately after Christmas. 
Um, so obviously that would be different. That would be that would be interesting because um, then the question would be if they could play a full season starting in December. You know, it seems like probably not, even if they eliminate a lot of the the things they could. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what happens there. Uh, so Sarah, what are your, what are your thoughts on like you know? Again, I know it's not new information, but, you know, this continuing uh, kind of uh, never knowing of, like, you know, uncertainty about the future. Oh, I love repeating myself. So this is great. I mean, (laughs) it's always that, you know, kind of the lineup. I'm very excited to announce that I'm announcing that I'm doing something. And that's it. Like, we're doing something. We're not going to tell you what it is because we're not sure. But we're doing it and we're doing a great job. Um, That's kind of the the messaging I'm, I'm seeing and if the season didn't start until September, my wonder is, do the Red Wings play at all until December? Because that would be my only reason I might want like the regular season to start. Just mm-hmm. the chaos of what if Steve is like, no, no thanks, we'll pass. We don't, <laughs> we don't want to play because what's the point? And we don't want to let other teams just dunk on us again. <laughs> we, can't, we can't handle that anymore. No easy victories for anyone. Um, you know, or if Ottawa is also like, nah, we're good. There's literally no reason for us to play. We can't catch we can't catch the Red Wings as losers. So yeah. what's the point? Um, but, <laughs> we can't catch anybody as winners. So. Yeah. yeah. So it's kind of, you know, but obviously, you know, we understand that the playoff teams have a different opinion than the loser teams um, who are like just focused on the draft. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's just kind of, like you said, same old, same old, same old, Um, you know, and we've seen statements from basketball and baseball who are, you know, kind of follow each other's lead. As we've said before, you know, basketball is trying to be out in front saying, yeah, we might open some facilities. And then baseball, like a day later said, yeah, we might start in like the middle of of June, maybe. Then the minor league canceled their season. So it's (laughs) kind of all over the place Um, and, and seeing if, you know, NHL is reacting to that a little bit or if they're really just we don't care what any other sport does we're going to do our own yeah. thing no it was this the the minor league baseball has canceled their season i just I, I didn't hear that yeah i saw it on twitter yesterday so it must be true no it was from like real sources <laughs> from like from, yeah. from like from real sources um that they said that's it's not happening there's some sort of i don't know as much about baseball as i do about hockey but they would have some sort of agreement like relax the the rules for what players can you know come be called up and go down mm. i think like in hockey terms it'd be like yeah get rid of the waivers who cares um okay. you know everyone is safe and you can send up anyone you want i'm not sure if that's how it works um <laughs> for baseball but but yeah. that's what i saw that was kind of the big news um i think it was yesterday or two days ago yeah I, we, we were uh, we were talking before uh, earlier today about um i i started playing uh, MLB the show and I'm doing like the the you know build your own player and you know you go from the minors to the majors and stuff and my my greatest uh, joy has been discovering the the craziness that is double a team names um, they are amazing there's the rubber ducks uh, I forget what, what place that is um, I, I, forget, I can't even remember them they are like I was like there's no way this is real like this must be like a made-up name for the game and nope I looked online and they are fantastic uh, so a <laughs> little, little bit of a digression but um, JJ what are your thoughts on the latest news slash not news about the NHL potential season I mean with 
watching hockey still being like my primary hobby, I'll I'll adjust regardless of whatever they do. So I'm kind of in there like I if if it works out then great. Like I do want hockey back. Yeah, and I'll I'll say it again. Like I don't want to watch hockey games where I'm like, is somebody going to die? Um, so make that work. But whatever, I, and that's uh, I'm kind of in the the position. Like I, I I don't care. Like I do want hockey back when it makes sense to. I don't want the product to suffer from trying to like cram too much uh, into uh, into too tight of space because uh, that just makes for bad slog hockey plus i mean let's face it we watched uh more than 70 red wings games this season we do (laughs) we do expect them to be better next season than they were but there are going to be times where it's like being a red wings fan does feel like work (laughs) and i don't want that um my other biggest concern is if they start the season in december what the hell are ken and mick going to do for the first two months of the season talking about the standings by American Thanksgiving. <laughs> I know. How's that going to work? They're going to have no content. Like, yeah. Um, well, you know what that means. That means that we're going to get 20 minutes of light the lamp. Oh uh, God. Yeah. It's funny because uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, our friend and uh, for sure co-host Jay uh, works for Fox Sports Detroit. And one of the things he does, I don't know if he does it all the time, but I know at least some of the time he is doing the, the Twitter account uh, for Fox Sports Detroit. And I know for a fact, he won't admit it to me, but I know for a fact that he really plays up all the light the lamp stuff because he knows I hate it. Um, <laughs> I, I, hate, I, I always tell him, like, why? Like, this is bad. It's again, it's it's like, um, Nobody cares about your fantasy hockey team. Like, like they talk about it for ten minutes. Like it's it, like it's gonna make a difference. Um, yeah, it's an office hockey pool that's constantly going on, and and I I I can't kind of feel with with Jay being on the Fox Sports Detroit, uh, Detroit feed because I th- they've got more. Fo- I think they've got more followers in the Wim feed. Um, mm-hmm. But there is just every time there's a game on the the. The whim feed, and I'm sure the Fox Sports Detroit feed, because it's happened from the whim feed, uh, gets yeah. so much abuse on Twitter, <laughs> just constant. <laughs> so there are, I'll admit that there are a lot of times where I'm I'm running the whim feed with just kind of the I'm just trying to piss off the people who annoy me the most on Twitter uh, by yeah. saying what I'm saying, and I cannot yeah. hold that against Jay one bit, <laughs> especially because it's it's directed mainly at me. I think. Uh, <laughs> Okay, well, before, speaking of, uh, sorry, speaking of getting blasted, before I get myself and us blasted, uh, the rumors of minor league baseball's death that I just talked about for 100 hours, wrong. <laughs> they were, their <laughs> death is exaggerated. Uh, they took it, the, it's been taken back that any report saying um, that minor league baseball is canceled is false. So, sorry. Sorry for buying into fake news. Do you think I mean, I did it on it purpose and me. I did it on purpose. Yeah. Joke's on you. Yeah. May yeah. fools. Um, but yeah, so minor league baseball still in play. How about that? I think they floated it as a test balloon, though, Sarah. Like, maybe, like, hey, what if we just tell everybody that it's canceled, and then if everybody freaks out, we'll know that they still love us. And Oh, I love that. I love that, conspir- I love that conspiracy theory. Let's say that's what happened. I'm pretty sure that the NHL does that sometimes. They will just, oh, they'll 100%. just release something, or they'll let somebody talk about something that's so egregiously stupid just to watch Twitter blow up and be like, oh, well, that's how stupid that is. Like, oh, how bad have I been? 
idea can it be? Well, I don't know. Why don't? Why doesn't somebody leak it to LeBron and find out? <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's like the um, like the NHL Network like best player lists that are always obviously designed to create like furor. Um, oh yeah, that's well, that's flat trolling. Yeah, that's yeah. I I, I love the like I I love those because I just love how mad people get. And it's like no matter how many times you you tell them, no, they're doing this to make you mad. Like, don't fall into the trap. And people are like, oh, what the hell is this? Drew Doughty's number one? Like, how, how is that true? Like, is this 10 years ago? Um, well, in fairness, yeah. we do it to ourselves, too, because every time you get one of those, you've got $15 to spend. Here's this yeah. guy who you know should not be a $5. And here's, like, three guys that you know shouldn't. Like, it happens. Every, and I've seen it within the last couple of weeks. I saw um, – I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna name the people who did it because I don't want to give uh, credit to them. Um, yeah. But one of them was there was a really bad hockey one, and there was a really bad Marvel one. And it's like every time I see one of those, I guess oh, yeah. the the you gotta you gotta keep three is is another one of those. It's like just mm. I appreciate that we are all trying to kill the time and and arguing is fun, but at some point it's like just it, we can calm down a little bit. It, it'll be yeah. okay. Um, but it, the, one of the things that has been coming out in the talk about, you know, what are we going to do? How are we going to bring the season back in? Uh, that has been kind of new and definitely interesting is that more people are starting to get player thoughts about the concept that they're going to have to go into like lockdown for four months away from their family. And they're, they're basically going to like Soviet hockey camp. Uh, just to finish the season out, and not everybody is thrilled about that. Like uh, I know uh, Philippe Deneau is is basically the been the guy whose name got put out. He can't. He's not the only one, but um, and that seemed to have caused the NHL and NHLPA to drop that joint press release. That basically it didn't really say anything. It's like there's been a lot of talk about what we're doing. Just let, just want to let you know we're still doing stuff. And that was yeah. I, I, I'm. Badly paraphrasing it, uh, except I'm not badly paraphrasing it. That's essentially the the entire thing of what they're saying. But what what do you guys think about the concept of like the players having to do more than just being on the road, like because it's it's the normal part of the season, but like actually full straight on lockdown away from their families for for three or four months. Yeah, it's uh, oh, hold on. Uh, Don Cherry just walked into my kitchen. <laughs> Suck it up, Buttercup. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, luckily I muted the mic before he said some really terrible things. Uh, and well, now he's gone now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, like that. That's definitely one of the the biggest concerns. Um, I forget. The problem is, like, like, when we talk about this stuff, we always talk about it, like, five times, like, and one time on the podcast. So I always forget if I talked about it on the <laughs> podcast or if we were just, you know, <laughs> talking about it before the podcast or, like, chatting or whatever. Um, like, I know that this is definitely – I don't know if it's my biggest concern, but it's definitely one of my biggest concerns is um, – you know, the I guess you could kind of put it in a bigger bucket, which would be like the welfare of the players, like everybody involved, because you have the coaching staff, you have the trainers and everything. Um, and yeah, this would be this would be part of it, too. Right. Because um, I mean, I don't, I don't know about you guys, but I mean, uh, the last you know, we, I've been home for, you know, not every I mean, I, I leave the house sometimes, you know, to go go to the store or something. Um, but, you know, I'm home all the time and 
I, I, you know, I have the ability to kind of go out and, and kind of, you know, not do stuff, but like, you know, get out of the house. Um, and I feel like a different person than I was a month and a half ago. You know, like I get angry at things that like normally would not have made me like, you know, normally I would have just been like, oh, yeah, that's fine. You know, and so like there is definitely something to be said about like the mental health uh, aspect of this, you know, like like that's that's part of their health, too. And it's, you know, these aren't machines. These aren't robots. These are human beings, you know, and I know people will probably say, yeah, but look, you know, they're doing this so they can get, you know, get paid a lot of money. But at the same time, like sometimes money, you know, money isn't everything, you know, sometimes it's, it's not worth it. Yeah. And, you know, I was, I was thinking about all the like campaigns in recent years. It's like, you know, hockey, it's not just a game. Hockey is more than a game. Hockey is community. Hockey is family. Except now they're like, no, hockey is necessary <laughs> personnel. You need to yeah. get yeah. out there and play. And who cares about your stupid family and and it's like, well, they didn't, it's not like this is like additional duties as a sign. Like they didn't sign up for, for four months of hockey camp. You know, they're, it's, you know, strange that, I guess it's not strange. It's expected um, that once, you know, the fans are inconvenienced, suddenly all the like kumbaya, rah, rah, we're a family thing goes out the window because now they've been inconvenienced. And it's like, it's not about you. It's about people being healthy and being there for their families and you know how is you're saying it's not fair to you as a fan well how is it fair to a player's you know partner if they have even if whether they have children or not but especially if they have children how is that fair to them you know she didn't she didn't sign up for four months by herself either so yeah you know it's and and people i know that people know that and that they are just reacting emotionally because everything is just everything feels so big right now that it's hard to like not you either don't react at all or you wildly overreact it's really hard to just like process information as you know quote you normally would um but yeah it's it's all just it's so weird and it's only going to get weirder we're going to keep talking about it um so i'll just i'll stop there i'll save something for (laughs) for next time <laughs> in soviet russia family is hockey <laughs> yeah yeah i mean uh, <laughs> speaking speaking of overreacting uh before we move on jj i want to come back for a 10 minute rant on why captain marvel was left off of that twitter list and it's bullshit i knew, uh, <laughs> I knew i was gonna figure out that i'm sorry <laughs> it's okay i mean like it's it, like to be honest like uh when i saw that like like my reaction wasn't like anger it was it was more like well, this is stupid. <laughs> you know, it's like you're going to you're going to take the one person that can fly through a spaceship and can travel at like supersonic speeds and cross galaxies. But she's not on the list. Yeah, see, <laughs> well, I think it's the... because she, she's all you need, basically. Yeah. Yeah, that was the one that I'm specifically sorry. like tur- that, like that turned it on for me because that was the one yeah. that was so egregiously bad. Like it actually it made me angry to see that. And I was like, man, I'm. I'm mad about Twitter online again. Let's okay. Yeah, you get the like. It's not even a microaggression. That's like a a slap in the face. But you see a lot yeah. of you see a lot of stupid shit on Twitter. Honestly, yeah. Um, so, yeah. It, but every once in a while, something just just steps over the line and, and slaps you so hard, you kind of you have to take a step back and go, "What am I mad about again?" Oh, yeah. Comic books. Okay. <laughs> yeah, Twitter is a habitual line stepper. <laughs> It's it's an old uh, um, Rick James uh, Dave Chappelle sketch 
reference because I've seen it a billion times. Anyway, uh, <laughs> um, actually, I was I was thinking that when you brought that up, um, on for sure we did uh, when Sarah was on as our our wonderful co-host, uh, we did. Uh, uh, the connection with like the Horizon Zero Dawn machines and hockey teams. So perhaps maybe Marvel characters as hockey teams could be one of the next ones that we do. That would be super fun. I um, like that. I, I do want to share that I I enjoyed that. I've never played Horizon Zero Dawn. I wasn't even like really aware of of what it was. Apparently, it's like better Torok. That's how old I am. Uh, <laughs> but I, I you guys made it so that even somebody who didn't who doesn't know anything about the game could enjoy what you were talking about. And I swear the gritty is the most violent care bear made me laugh out loud. <laughs> so listening to this episode of women radio, and you have not listened to the last episode of for sure, uh, do yourself a favor and, and pop into that. <laughs> yeah. Like, like my wife was like, Oh, you must've had a lot of fun. Cause you were laughing a lot. <laughs> and I was, I was laughing so much recording that. Um, Okay, uh, so we do have uh, a really exciting segment coming up that we talked about last week. But before that, um, there is a little bit of Red Wings news. Um, they have uh, signed a Swedish forward, uh, Matthias Brome. Uh, I'm, I'm being told it's Brome, which unfortunately kind of ruins the, the JJ pun in quick hits. I'm not right. uh, <laughs> Or, or for the for the mailbag, I'm sorry uh, about the bromance edition, um, but that's okay. It, it, you know, it, it's it's kind of like Shakespeare. You know, um, you know, it doesn't always rhyme because you know sometimes the rhyme changes, and we'll just we'll just go with that. Um, but apparently, uh, there's an article uh, by Max Boltman where he took a look at like kind of what to expect for fans, like setting expectations. Um, the only problem is I found out about ex its existence just before we started recording. Uh, now, <laughs> fortunately, uh, JJ and Sarah uh, knew about it beforehand, right? So I'm just going to ask you guys, uh, Sarah, I'll go to you first about what do you, um, you know, what's your takeaway from this about this, uh, this, this player? Um, and and part, uh, also, if you want to talk about his name and possibilities for his name, because I know you have some thoughts on that. I'll leave. Uh, I'll leave the wordsmithing to JJ. I can see his wounded pride after you uh, <laughs> slapped out his joke right now. So I'll let him think of some really good things to say. Oh, um, I don't have any good ones. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, in the article, you know, they were. Uh, to, well, I won't paraphrase it, but I'll say kind of my impression is that. He, it just seemed like a very average player. Like the, the descriptions of him seemed like things I've seen a hundred times of, well, he needs to work on his speed a little bit, but he's tough in the corners. Uh, and, you know, it's it's like saying someone has a great hockey IQ. Well, yeah, you're not going to be like, well, he's a dumbass, but we signed him anyway. He can barely read. Like we have to, <laughs> we had to put yeah. up pictures in the <laughs> locker room. <laughs> We signed that kid. We signed some mites on ice to uh, to finish the season for us. But, <laughs> uh, but yeah, they were Max was saying kind of that he would be probably fitting like a third line, maybe fourth. Um, he, but he's not. He's not like a true capital G grit um, player. But he's not, you know, going to be a top line either. And I know that uh, the Canucks were also looking at him. And, you know, there was kind of some, well, why did he sign with the Red Wings? And I'll say my conspiracy theory is because we're the worst. And so he had the best chance of playing on the team because we're so bad. Um, yeah. I I hope that's not true, but that's kind yeah. of what, what I think may have happened. So I'm not sure if we'll actually see him or not. I mean, like, pretending that hockey was happening if the Red Wings are yeah. playing right now. Um, you know, I don't 
I don't know what we see we would see him. You know, he said all the, you know, I'm going to work really hard. I really want to succeed. Again, it's the canned hockey player language. Um, yeah. So it seemed very like, all right, cool. At least there's some news, even if it's not super <laughs> exciting. It's something. So I'll take that. Yeah. I mean, there definitely could be something to that because, you know, my my uh, my major league baseball player was signed uh, or, or was drafted in the uh, the 15th round by the Detroit Tigers. Um, and at first I was like, oh, this is bad because the Tigers are not good uh, as far as I know from my friends who are Tigers fans. And I was like, but maybe this means I can play soon. You know, I can make the team because there's nobody better than me, even though I'm like a 62 overall. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> JJ, uh, I, know, I know Sarah pretty much touched on like we were talking about before. Um, with with Brome, uh, do you have any any other ideas, any other uh, insights into this signing? I guess. Well, I do kind of love the like what a difference. Uh, what seven years makes? He's twenty five. Um, so you you'll you read things about him like uh, he really likes to to score goals and he's a he's a hard worker and um, you know his shot could be a little better and uh, he could do this a little better. Like there's there's goods and bads, but like if we were saying this about an 18 year old draft kid. It would be like, Oh, you know, he's, he's going to grow out of that. It's going to be great. It's, it's all, it's all rosy. Like you never hear, Oh, he sucks uh, about any of the draft kids, even the, the ones that go in the seventh round. Um, but this guy at 25, like reading that it's like, Oh, well, the ceiling isn't very high, but uh, honestly, I, I think as long as I set the expectation and this is, this is weird for me because I hate setting expectations really low for players. Um, but if the expectation is that he's going to be a, a third liner or a fourth liner at best, like he's going to have to earn his way there. Um, Cause even then, like I, I, I don't see any, di- until I actually see him play, I don't really see any difference between him and Dmitry Timoshov, uh, who I like because he, he, that's a kid that works hard. And, and I think that that's, that's really good. Like I, I don't, I, I don't agree with a lot of Red Wings fans that, that think that the, some of the players on our third and fourth lines are, aren't trying hard. I, I think that everybody tries hard. Um, but, yeah, there is kind of a difference in the output that, that, that appears. So I'm looking forward to seeing that from the guy. Um, I do think that it it plays in really well, like, the Red Wings had a, a had a built-in advantage in signing the guy, not because uh, Boltman said that uh, Cronwall played into that. Like he was one of the ones who convinced him. I'm certain that that kid grew up well aware of of Nick Lidstrom, and so he uh, every Swede is is a Red Wings fan growing up, apparently. Um, so it, it it's almost no surprise it comes down to essentially Vancouver versus Detroit because that's where all the good Swedes come from. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Go to I guess. Yeah. So. But it is a, it's kind of a, a, a double-edged benefit here is that the Red Wings are one of the few teams that can say, listen, you've got a really good shot to make it in the league. It's a one-year, it's, uh, it's, I believe it's an actually an entry-level contract. It's a one-year deal, put up or shut up, make it, and then essentially from that, he would be an RFA, but you're going to get the opportunity to showcase a lot of value uh, for a team that's not very good, plus the teams that are really good and really deep don't have a need or don't have necessarily have the space uh, to take a shot on a kid like this. Like he's, if 
if he were a, a world beater, he would have been signed before he was 25 years old. Like this was really like he came of age. They call him a late bloomer. Um, he did really well in in the the Swedish Elite League last season, and I don't want to take anything away from him. I think it was like seventh in points, sixth in goals. Um, did really well in the international tournament uh, scene, which is like even a step up from that league. Um, so he, he hasn't been bad, but it's like this is. He got everything at the at the right time, and the Red Wings are one of the very few teams that can, you know, take a shot on whether or not if he was a flash in the pan, then who cares? It, yeah. it was him or, or Adam Ernie next season on on that space, and I don't give a shit one way or the other. I, I give me the give me the new blood. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I, I think it ties into what we've seen so far from Iserman in terms of. You know, kind of, t- you know, making making bets on players that not all of them are going to work, uh, but it's low cost. I mean, in this case, you know, you're not losing anything except for cap space and a contract. Um, but, you know, there's the potential that, you know, even if just a couple of these hit, I mean, obviously the Robbie Fabry deal worked out tremendously well so far. Um, you know, if you can get a couple more of those, those um, uh, you know, they don't even need to be home runs, you know, doubles, you know, uh, then you know that that helps the team a lot because you know you said he's um you know they they they're saying right now he's probably you know maybe not even an NHL third liner um but like an NHL fourth liner would be an improvement on the performance we got <laughs> from a lot of our NHL players last you know what I mean like we had some players that like are not even producing like NHL fourth liners um so that would be a step up you know what I'm rooting um, yeah. for more than anything is it's almost unfortunate that he's I think he's like six foot 200. He might actually be a little too big for this to work, but I want him and Timoshev, anybody, one other player to create insane chemistry and score a lot of goals uh, because I want to be able to use uh, my little brome friendship is magic all the time. <laughs> and that's that's See, the best we, I got. We knew, we knew you would get there. Well, I'm okay you know what his favorite uh, browser yeah. is, right? <laughs> Chrome? No, it's Safari. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. my God. And I mean, with guys like this, you know, if we have a couple of these, you know, plug and play kind of guys who, as we get to the end of the season, there's a playoff team that's battered and limping. I mean, we can do to other teams what we what we did to ourselves of being like, ah, oh, crap. We need a guy who will just we can just kind of plug into this line. What do we do? We give up a draft pick to the Red Wings and then take one of their. <laughs> their generic players and just drop them in and and we'll go from there. So if we can rehabilitate or just raise a couple of like little projects and then flip them at the end of the season. And that seems like a, seems like a Steve Eiserman magic thing that he could do. And then that GM would be like, come at me, bro, man. (laughs) (laughs) I swear I'm done. (laughs) Oh my God. Never mind. I, I I had a dumb idea. I couldn't, I couldn't I couldn't get there in my head to make it. I was trying to think of a way to get uh get uh the the HBO show Treme into there because that's like the only other word I can think of that has that kind of same ending. Even though the but the vowel doesn't work, it's it's not going to work anyway. Um, we're going to take a break. <laughs> we're going to take a break so I can think of that joke. No, I'm kidding. Um, but we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we are going to. Uh, get into the first edition or the first segment of uh, our 
at, at, I, I'm assuming at least two podcast uh, length uh, segments, uh, which is about the Iser plan, kind of taking a look at Steve Iserman, uh, his playing career, his influences, uh, what he did in Tampa, and um, you know what we can expect going forward. Uh, so when we come back, we're going to have the first part of that. Uh, we'll see you soon. Wim Radio, ad timeout. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. All right, let's play. And we are back. Um, so like I said, for this next segment, we are going to talk a little bit about um, the overall career of a a, uh, a very famous uh, person in the Detroit community named Steve Eiserman. You might have heard of him. He's kind of been in the news lately. Uh, so um, for this segment, uh, uh, I'm going to actually turn it over to JJ, and he's going to kind of walk us through this. So, JJ, the floor is yours. All right, excellent. Thank you. So, yeah, I wanted to remind everybody that essentially we got a, an email from uh, MC Fubar who had asked about, you know, what – constitutes the Iser plan and so we wanted to do uh, a bit of research and, and kind of figure out how exactly we wanted to handle this and I, I think we, we wanted to, to serialize it a bit to take it um, very seriously so this time we're gonna spend more time looking at his playing career and kind of the the culture of the Red Wings and the overall culture of hockey and how that might have molded him into a, a guy that you might expect to take certain actions in Tampa um, but we're going to generally stop there because uh, a teaser for next week is right now our plan is to have Alan from Raw Charge on uh, who knows all about what Eiserman actually did in Tampa um, and has a lot more access to that kind of context because you know, we can you know, anybody can Google you know all of Eiserman's trades and all of his draft picks while he was there. Um, but in order to, to kind of put it together in the, in the narrative that makes sense, we wanted to, to get like the expert who was paying attention to his absolutely every move. Um, so we'll start out just talking uh, more about his playing career, but I also wanted to get out on the, the table where the three of us stand, because Eiserman's career with Detroit started in 1983. Um, full disclosure, I didn't become aware of hockey until the early 90s, and I didn't become a Red Wings fan until the mid-90s. Um, this was already more than one full epoch into his career. Like he had already changed as a player more than once. Um, and hockey had changed significantly from when he came in. So there are going to be holes in my knowledge that are going to be essentially passed down from the, the spoken and written record of things that happened before then. But um, that's, that's, that's my piece. But, and I'll, I'll let Peter and Sarah talk about their own. 
I mean, I, I've, t I've, I've told, like, basically how I got, uh, how I became a fan of the Red Wings uh, a, a bunch, uh, a few times, but, you know, some listeners probably haven't heard it. So the, sh the short version is I grew up, uh, I, I'm, you know, I, I was born in 79, so I was, what, four, uh, you know, three or four when Iserman uh, was drafted. Um, so I grew up in Connecticut, and uh, typically people in that area become Ranger fans, uh, but my dad had season tickets to the Islanders, so I grew up an Islander fan. Uh, I was a huge hockey fan pretty much my whole life, you know, starting from, like, six on, probably. Um, and because the Islanders were always almost always awful and they never made the playoffs. Um, I wanted to have a team to root for in the playoffs. And my dad and I both chose Detroit because we, you know, they, they were always in the playoffs um, and, you know, they were a fun team. Uh, you know, they seemed like they were run well uh, as opposed to the Islanders, you know, so, you know, you don't have to deal with all that, all that BS stuff. Um, and so, I mean, I grew up when I was, when I was younger, like back when ho hockey was on ESPN, I would watch like every playoff game. Like I would, I would, I would watch the, the Eastern conference one. And then I would stay up until like one and watch the Western conference one. You know, I would do that like every single game. So every televised game I would watch. So I saw a bunch of the Red Wings games. I saw a bunch of Iserman, um, but I wasn't like officially a fan, like not even close to like the level that I follow the team now. And I was trying to think back to when, when I kind of switched over and I seem to remember it being, wait a second. I don't know. Um, when was the series uh, with Nashville? Like, it looks like it says 2012, but I thought it was later than that. Um, the one with, uh, What's his name? Shea Weber slamming Zetterberg's head into the boards and getting a five thousand dollar fine. I hate um, that guy. Yeah, I seem to remember that being like when I really started following Detroit, um, and then I probably didn't really, really, really start following Detroit to like the level I do now. Um, probably by like two thousand sixteen, maybe. 2015 to 2016. Um, so I have like a lot of memories. I mean, like one of my favorite hockey moments growing up was the Iserman goal against St. Louis. I know everybody says that, but I mean, like, that's what I remember. You know, like, like if you ask me about Steve Iserman, that's like the first memory I have of, you know, cause I, I watched that live. Um, and yeah. So, I mean, like my knowledge of Iserman is not going to be nearly as high as, as a lot of the people listening to this podcast. So I think I guess I'm maybe somewhere in between, but more more towards the Peter end of the spectrum, uh, where I was born in the late '80s, like '89, <laughs> and um, but I was born in uh, in Pennsylvania. So I'm I'm become a legacy fan because my dad and his family they're from Michigan. So it was just that like water is wet, grass is green. I'm a Red Wings fan. I don't know anything about them, but that's what I know that I like Detroit sports because mm -hmm. um, you know I was kind of in between um, like. The geographically in between Philadelphia and Pittsburgh. And I don't want to, no one wants to do that. And no one wants to be those fans for anything, uh, any sport. So I was just a general Detroit sports fan, had AOL dial-up internet, like my whole childhood, my adulthood there, um, and antenna TV. Like you turn the little knob and it's like, and get someone on the roof to kick it so it's not staticky. So I had zero access um, to anything except anything my dad might say and an occasional playoff game if it was on like NBC. So I didn't become like a actual know anything about the team fan until 2007 when I went to college. So lucky me, instant 
instant joy of a Stanley Cup. Um, but I, I think I kind of went all in on there, that, and was kicking filing cabinets and, you know, being, a, I think, a good rowdy fan on my own. Um, so I kind of had to work backwards to get to Steve Eiserman because I missed his whole career. So I knew the legend, the myth, but I didn't know the man. Uh, you know, I had to learn about him through highlights. So I'm kind of that backwards fan. Yeah, so it's really interesting is that we all uh, came in either when Eiserman was fully realized as the captain or by then he had already he, he was essentially immortalized. Um, but what I find really interesting in looking at essentially his career path with the Red Wings and uh, how it would lead to his DMing nowadays is I, I remember thinking for a long time that essentially Scotty Bowman is the the real linchpin to this and I, I don't think that that's necessarily true and I think that one of the biggest things because Eiserman came in in 83 he was drafted by uh, Jim Devolano and his coach for the first two years of his career uh, was Nick Polano. I, I'll, I'll be honest. I don't know anything about that guy outside of after those two years of coaching, Polano wasn't fired. He moved higher up in the Red Wings front office where he went on to be one of the key pieces in helping uh, Soviet players or former Soviet block players defect, uh, including Sergei Fedorov and uh, Slava Kozlov. And I think that this ties into like one of the biggest keys in what has driven Eiserman's thinking, um, because you'll it, hearing from all of his teammates and and everybody else that is uh, that has known him uh, in regards to what kind of a of a GM is he or what kind of a thinker is he. It's always been, he was always a student of the game. He's always been paying attention. And it's, it's kind of always been obvious that he wanted, that he was going to run things at, at some point. So when he came into the league, he was drafted by a guy who was absolutely not afraid to look at Europeans. And I mean, hockey is still going through a, a, a phase and, and probably always will be where there's this mixture of uh, fascination and revulsion for the European style uh, versus the Canadian style. You know, you've got a lot of like, ah, oh, the Europeans are too soft or, or there's, and it works the other way too. The Europeans are, uh, are, are too good essentially. Um, but Irishman came up in a, in a time where there was a, I mean, the, the Canadians and the, the Russians, and that's something that I learned as a hockey fan later than I probably should have. Uh, Canadians uh, hated Russians more than I ever did. Uh, and it was all hockey reasons. Uh, and it was a, a, a decent rivalry. And so by the time Eiserman came in, Devolano was kind of a guy who was really being, was really able to factor in that these two, styles could work really well together now it took a while for that to put for them to put that together um but Eisman was a key, uh, was a big key person he western canadian kid who very much had a canadian style of play um but if there was any of that xenophobia going on in there i mean it, it kind of didn't show in the way the red wings culture was um i mean it's, it's still it was prevalent in 80s hockey, and it's I'd still I'd say it's less prevalent now, but it's still around today. So, hmm. um, I think that's one of the the biggest keys that that we can 
we can see because I mean, when you think about what Eichmann is as a GM, that seems it almost seems kind of obvious that he is a he is a mixture of of skill and toughness guy. He is a guy who wants to constantly put together those mid nineties Red Wings teams. Is that does that sound obvious or or am I off base there? Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it it seems to make sense to me. I, I was trying trying to remember because like it's it's one of those things where I have all these like these things that I kind of remember floating around in my mind, and I'm trying to remember um, like what actually happened. Um, oh yeah, this was that the um, apparently the Red Wings were originally going to uh, draft Lafontaine, right? Yeah, and Lafontaine went at third, so they had to take Eiserman at fourth. Yeah. Um, now that would be like a kind of an interesting alternate history. Um, what would have happened because I mean, obviously Pat LaFontaine was no slouch either. I mean, he had an amazing career. Um, obviously it would have been different, um, but it would have been, inter- you know, it would be interesting to kind of see the alternate timeline of that and like what would have happened, like the ripple effect and everything. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think it seems to me like, like one of the biggest things about Detroit is like you said, kind of how they they were able to bring in all these different types of players and have them work together. Um, and you don't see that. I mean, we kind of talked about this a couple episodes ago, I think, where we were talking about a potential reason why some of the like the 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 modern European draft picks seem to like not work out, you know. And then you read articles about how there was nobody in the locker room that spoke their language, you know, and like they had nobody to talk to, you know. And and it seems like. You know, with all the information that we have publicly, it seems like the Red Wings did a really good job just in terms of their organization, like on every level of making sure that 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 that's the culture that they wanted. Um, And I think, you know, Iserman was, you know, to to me feels like a big part of that, you know, obviously as a player, but then also, you know, later as a leader, as a captain. Um, And I don't know, I wouldn't be surprised if that's something that he tries to do going forward you know i mean the uh you know the lightning have uh, you know players from a lot of different countries um and there doesn't really seem to be stories about locker room strife you know between different players and stuff so um i would say basically you know based on what we we know it seems at least plausible that that's that's like a big influence is like that idea like what he experienced as a player he brings to kind of like the leadership role yeah and i think the other piece um to look at in terms of the GM, and this may give hope to the the Blashill detractors out there, is if you look at kind of the the narrative of the the history of the coaches that he played under. Uh, so you got Nick Polano uh, for the first couple of years, and then the third year it was just a, a garbage throwaway season. They had Harry Neal for 35 games before he got fired, and then uh, Brad Park came in and took over the last 45 games, and that's the basically forgotten he was 20 years old it's uh who cares about okay. them uh after that uh jacques Demare came in and he's the one who made um eisman the captain he coached him for four seasons and then they missed the playoffs for the very last time before uh the infamous streak started and Demare's left uh he got fired hmm. um and then Brian Murray took over. Uh, he took over as the GM and also coaching. Um, and really, the the story of, of Iserman's earlier career, um, a lot of those guys were players' coaches. Mm-hmm. They were friendly kind of development guys like 
you go do your thing. Like, uh, Demer demanded work, but in terms of like buddy buddy, he was he was well respected, well liked in the locker room. Um, and then Bowman came along, and that was like a really a big uh, a big turning point. I mean, every everybody remembers the the story about how Bowman almost had to trade Eiserman to Ottawa. Um, because Eisman wouldn't uh, wouldn't buy into the becoming a, a complete player kind of thing, and so I think, and then a- after that, I, I think that Bowman we can call the end of Eisman's development as a player. I, I don't think that he necessarily learned anything from Barry Smith or, or Dave Lewis or, or Mike Babcock, um, other than mm-hmm. hey, Scotty Bowman was a mm-hmm. lot better. <laughs> but it, it was is an interesting thing is like uh, that he had to at some point. I think it's key that he got developed kindly until it was time to no longer be kind. And then we, he needed the, the coach that was not cuddly. That was the, you think you've worked hard at this point, you have not worked hard enough. And that is a very tough fine line because that changes generally generationally as well. Uh, You know, Herb Brooks was, not well known was not uh, exactly a kind coach, and I, I wonder how that would even translate to uh, the player nowadays or, that they're yeah. trying to develop. Um, because whether you like it or not, whether you, you appreciated the old school or, or or don't appreciate the old school, or whether you, you like the fact that that generations nowadays um, are more open to having and feeling and expressing feelings. Um, it's, it's the story of the world, and I, that's that's one of the biggest questions I have about Eisenman going forward. Is is his is he looking out for that? And I th- I think his his record with uh, I mean the only thing we know of coaches is that John Cooper, yeah. Jeff Blashill, essentially. Uh, I think he's done a, a a decent job of holding coaches where they need to be for the development process that they're in. Um, It'll be really interesting to see how he goes forward, like when it's time to move on from Blasio. Like that, that, that coaching question is definitely interesting because, um, you know, obviously you had mentioned, uh, you know, Scotty Bowman, uh, you know, one of the, you know, one of the, the great, you know, depending on how you define it, you know, in terms of wins and everything, you know, just one of the most accomplished coaches of all time. Um, you know, I grew up idolizing a different iconic coach in Al Arbor um, and Granted, I mean, there might be things I'm, I'm misremembering, but he was also that type of, of coach where he was very strict and very hard on the players. But when you watch interviews with them, uh, you know, if you watch like the Stanley Cup documentaries and stuff, you know, they always talk about how much they they appreciated him. Like, you know, they might not have liked it at the time, but they knew why he was doing what he was doing, you know, and he wasn't doing like, again, unless I'm forgetting something. I don't think I am. You know, there's no stories of him doing the crazy stuff that has come out about some of these players in terms of or coaches in terms of, you know, being, you know, pretty much abusive, um, you know, really going over the line. Uh, and, the, you know, the players really seem to respect him, you know, and uh, I think it's interesting. And actually, one thing I wanted to, to say is you talked about the idea of like the generational differences in coaching. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, but. We've also seen that there are coaches out there who are able to kind of change with the times, right? Like, uh, I know we talked about him a lot, but like John Tortorella, I used to hate his guts. I used to absolutely hate him. I used to despise him. And now he's like, honestly, like if we hired him as a coach, I would be fine with it because 
he is he number one he's owned up to a lot of the bad things i hated about him where he would just lose mind and just you know do incredibly unprofessional things um and he seems like the type of coach that genuinely cares about the players and is willing to change his approach if it's going to get better results from the players so yeah i mean i i, I do think that there is the ability for a coach to change but you know, I mean, th- th- right now, that's kind of the only one I can think of, you know, who has kind of drastically changed his approach over the course of his, his coaching career. Sarah, how do you, how does the, the narrative fit with you from the guy who was essentially the the icon stepping into the, the role of, of GM? And, and how, how, does that, how does that fit in for, from your perspective? I mean, you know, what, what I've seen, like at first it was just kind of, feeling whatever anyone else felt. I was like, how do we all feel about this? All right, that sounds good. I'll feel that also. Um, you know, but as I was seeing more, you know, he he seems like the guy who's like, could we have this meeting in an email? Like, he's not just doing stuff to do oh, stuff. Hero. You know, it, he's not making a, a dramatic statement of, well, I'm going to fire Jeff Blaschel because we suck. But he'd be like, well, why? We're going to suck anyway. What's yeah. the point? Like, why would I do that now just to do it i don't need to just do something and you know with tampa it looked like he was very patient and deliberate and really looking at the big picture and not you know what player will make us better right now but what player will work with the players i have and the players i'm thinking about picking up to be good in like two years and you know being you know just very deliberate about all of his choices um and i think we've seen that this season like even you know he surprises us with like oh hey look it's robbie fabry sure but you, know, you can still tell that that wasn't just like, oh, all right, I guess I'll make a trade today. Like he's he clearly has a vision and has a plan, you know, and right now Jeff Blaschel is part of the plan. And it, it does admittedly strike me where he's like, I have confidence in Jeff. I'm like, do you, though? Um, <laughs> you know, but, but I'm, I also have but I'm not sure I would have been OK just bringing in another, another coach and being like, here's a mess. Good luck, because mm-hmm. we're not we're not ready to fix our mess yet. Yeah. <laughs> let's be real about it we're, we're not that quite we're getting closer we're not quite there where we really need to like fix this house so you know I and again it's, I'm totally biased because if it was Ken Holland I'd be like you're such an idiot but so there's there is that that bias even though I wasn't there when he was a player I'm you know still it's the legacy you know he's a legend and so anything he does is automatically amazing. Um, you know, so there there is that blind trust that even someone like me who didn't actually experience his playing career um, is still like, yep, blind trust because he is Steve Eiserman. That's just that's just how it is. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at right now. Now you've mentioned this uh, in the last uh, couple of podcasts, and I totally agree with you. Um, but I'm going to put you on the spot here because uh, you and I are, are similar in that we are very much fans by feel and, uh, you know, and anybody else can deal with that. Um, Steve Eiserman can do things that, and, and be a genius for things that Ken Holland would have done and be like, if that doesn't work out, I'm going to yeah. mail you poop. Just, just know this, Ken Holland. How long do you think Eiserman has that leash with you? forever (laughs) no but like um but realistically i think 
you know, I would be like self-blaming first to be like, well, I just don't understand. It's my problem that he traded our entire first round for like David Leguan's cat. You know, I just don't, I'm just not seeing this big picture. Yeah. I'm the idiot. And I, I think I would ride that wave pretty far because that's just who I am as a person. <laughs> Being like, well, I know it's just not a, I must just be dumb. I just don't understand. He's fine. Let me hear what like Peter or Prashanth or what JJ have to say. And then I'll, I'll go with that. Um, you know, so, and, and with Ken Holland, I wasn't there for his greatest hits. I was there for <laughs> Merrick Sidlicki and David Leibold <laughs> and Eric Cole. So I was there. So the, the bad things are right out in front of my mind. I was there for Erickson's <laughs> extensions and re- vividly remember that from like 10 years ago. So I came into Red Wings fandom with this like, come on, Ken, what are you doing? Everything you do makes me really mad. And I didn't have anything to fall back on. Whereas with Steve, I have not only a fresh slate, but like, oh, he's done all this amazing stuff just in general as a player, as a human, as a icon of the city. So for me, he's got, I mean, he's got a leash like from here in Maryland all the way to Detroit. <laughs> like he can just do, as long as he doesn't trade me to another fan base, I'm okay. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure what he could do that would really make me like turn on him and not just turn on myself. Be like, oh, well, I just, I'm just the idiot here. Of course you're going to trade Larkin for a bag of dog food. Of course. Makes sense. So I, I don't think I'm ever going to be that critical. <laughs> what if he came out and gave a press or like anybody who never rooted for Jimmy Howard, get out of my fan base. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like, well, he did have a rough season. <laughs> and everyone would be like, there's a tweet for everything. And I'm like, 5,000 of my tweets would be, like, quote-tweeted by Steve Eisman's burner account. I'd be like, you're full of shit. You've been dying on Jimmy Howard's Hill for 10 years. <laughs> and I have. But, yeah, so it's like, even, then, even like, the one of the things I actually do Twitter fight about, which is, it's hard for me, but I will fight about Jimmy. Yeah. I would even then be like, yeah, you know, maybe he wasn't as good as, as I thought. Maybe maybe he really wasn't better than Morazic that one season. <laughs> oh, that is that is powerful. Um, if he you know, said anything about Henrik Zetterberg, yeah. it's oh, yeah. over. Okay, yeah. There's, <laughs> there's the line. There's a line you cannot cross yeah. with me. We had to go digging until we found it. I, I'm, I'm glad <laughs> that we came to a good, uh, a good location there. Um, Peter, kind of the same question for you. I, I know you're, you're. I don't want to say you're you're more of the embraced debate, but because like, that's the thing. As we're going on the internet, there it always see everybody gets uh, siloed into to one thing. Everybody who um, you know looks at an Iserman thing with the the rosy glasses is you know oh he, he can do no wrong, and so you know we're all just just hopeless uh, fan idiots. And the other side is well, I have to be allowed to to you you have to be be able to to criticize the guy or, you know, nobody's perfect. And, but that seems to be all they do. And so I I don't even think you like this guy. And I know everybody, every single person falls somewhere between those two extremes. The actual extremes are very, very rare. Um, But Peter, if I, if I may be so bold as to say, you are uh, pretty close to the middle of the spectrum in in terms of being able to objectively uh, levy criticism. Um, 
and also being able to see that Steve Eiserman does actually uh, poop rainbows <laughs> and uh, he he sweats uh, diamonds and gold. <laughs> yeah, it's it's um, it's tough, and I think you I I forget if you mentioned it this time or a, a different podcast when we were talking about like a similar idea. I think like I tried to be very cognizant of the fact that because so many fans were happy and I was, I was as well. I was, I was very happy that he came here as a, the general manager. I was very happy with that. I think it was a great move and I, it's something I'd kind of hoped would happen. I, I figured it would probably happen eventually, but I wasn't expecting it when it did. I, I, I was basically trying to guard against the idea that because we as the fans have been, you know, really critical of, of a lot of what Ken Holland did for, you know, a while. Um, you know, the, the, the last couple of years he was here, he, he made a lot of really good moves. Um, I mean, he still did things that we criticized as well. Um, but it was kind of like I, I was very cognizant of not kind of flipping the, flipping the switch like the wrong way and going from, you know, Ken Holland is always wrong to like Steve Eiserman is always right, you know, and... I so, so like when, whenever I saw that like there was a move, I was trying to think of, you know, I, I want to make sure I'm not having like a knee jerk reaction to this where I'm like, everybody's saying that this is good, but they're just saying it because it's Steve Eiserman. Like, I want to really think about, you know, if if this was just random general manager A and he made this decision, how would I evaluate that? You know, um, and it's tough because I mean, like, there are sometimes I think I, I was probably too critical of, of some things where, I, well, you know, I, you know, I, I didn't really like something and it turned out to, to work out. Um, but, you know, for example, like I, I am a really big fan of what we were talking about before. These kind of like low risk moves that he does where you just do a bunch of them, and try to, you know, hope you get a Robbie Fabry, you know, and he did. And that's awesome. Um, like I liked uh, going out and getting Brent, Brendan Perlini. It hasn't really worked out that well, but I liked it. Um, I wasn't a huge fan of the the Philpola contract, um, but it turns out that if we didn't have him, then we would have been even probably more screwed than we were last year. Um, now, at the same time, I do think that he like, – like there's an alternate world in which he brought in a different player, um, and it could have been better results, you know, but – yeah, I think I, I I think overall I'm pretty happy with what he's done so far. Um, and yeah, I mean like you know just to to answer your question before I stop before I completely ramble for ten minutes. Um, you know it, it definitely is something I'm very cognizant of. Uh, and one thing I've really kind of kind of changed I think over the, like the last year or so is I try I try very hard not to just have a knee jerk reaction. You know, like I go on Twitter, it's like, oh, this was a, you know, this was a fantastic move or this is a terrible move. Like I try to just kind of wait a little bit and then see what all the smart people are saying <laughs> uh, and but I also evaluate for myself. But like I think sometimes with in Twitter, like with the world of Twitter, it's really easy for kind of like everybody to just pile on in one direction. And when you take a step back and you're like, wait a second, maybe it's not that bad or maybe it's not that good. Um and that's I, I think that's been really helpful is like kind of taking that step back, waiting a day or two to really be like, OK, this is what I think about this. Yeah, I think you actually kind of touched on a, a key to fandom happiness that I've, I've kind of recently sadly recently discovered is that the the concept of you know everybody overreacting or, or jumping onto things like 
the internet, whether it's Twitter or it's a comment section, uh, the internet is unique in that it's a, a mob that doesn't know it's a mob. It's every individual out there is, is sharing his and her own opinions where when you pile those all up together, that's, that's, that's exactly what a mob does. But if you've got a physical group of people that are all shouting something, they know that they're a mob. They know that they are uh, just bringing a, a din uh, at whatever they're, they're shouting about. Um, to know that so uh, i've been a part of the internet mob forever um but i've it's always yeah. just been like no these are my thoughts i don't care what the rest of these things are saying um so before the i'm, I'm sure that the, the listeners are probably screaming at me for for screwing this up to get this far into this conversation about the the tutelage of of steve eiserman uh, with the red wings and we kind of haven't even touched on the big effect of ken holland and i think it, it touches on one of the uh, our biggest concerns is because we we saw Ken Holland. He had a lot of very good tricks and strategies, and and he had a very good system that he basically um, the NHL outgrew him. Like he was not able to um, to adjust to the way things work. Um, once it was clear that he had to adjust the the things, it was almost too late for him to to save himself with with our fan base. But you're right, he. Once it was clear that we needed to rebuild, he started making smart moves along the path of, of the GM that rebuilds. Um, Eisman was already gone by then, but Eisman was very much raised by a Red Wings team that very much embraced being able to, to change and, and create um, and then become more rigid when it was was needed. Um, and then he... You know, he he has run a, his teams a lot like Ken Holland has. So the big concern is whether or not Steve Eiserman can continue to be as flexible as, as Holland couldn't be in his last years. And that's, I mean, that's a huge worry. Um, but the other thing is that we don't see Eiserman. He, he's not playing 3d chess out there. Um, and that's uh, kind of one of the, the more comforting things. Cause out of, out of the brain drain that has happened with the Red Wings organization, like I still think Jim Nill is a very good executive, but I do think that one of his drawbacks since he left the Red Wings has been, and he has kind of tried to play 3D chess in Dallas, and it just has not worked out. Like he cannot get those pieces together. Where Steve is taking a more um, meticulous approach to it of, of just I'm picking things out to see what works while I still can. Um, but I'm not trying to, to outsmart everybody because it used to be when, when Steve was coming up, essentially a GM's job in in hockey is to find inefficiencies that they can exploit. Devilano and, and Holland were able to do that. Uh, Devilano with looking specifically more to, to Europeans and that kind of style. And Holland, fair or not, um, the materiality of the Detroit Red Wings to, to spend during that time. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. A lot of those exploits are gone nowadays, but that doesn't mean that you can't keep mining. And that's what this, this Brome signing is. That's what all these little things are, is these little low-risk things to see if this is a guy that people overlooked, you are going to get extreme value out of that because GMs aren't the... And then you need a coach in place that is going to find ways to exploit the game but that's getting harder and harder I, I actually do think the next big 
change the next big exploit that's going to come from a coach and you'll see a lot of the the hockey nerds talking about it is more positionless hockey like stop treating like defenders um more five and the funny thing is that that's essentially the 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 tech bros reinventing the subway um because the russian five played in a way where yeah you could call fatisov and and konstantinov defensemen but they were not playing as defensemen they were playing as part of a five-man unit that moved all the way up the ice um as yeah. one, so that's coming, and Eisman's got to find the coach who's going to do that. But he's also got to be in the right time to find that coach, because uh, that guy is not turning this team into the Russian Five. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of kind of like what we talk about. Um, <laughs> like it seems to come up at least once a season the past few years, you know, uh, where it seems like Jeff Blashill has a style of play that he really wants them to play. And every year he realizes that they don't have the tools to do it. And then he has to go back to, well, I guess we're going to do something else, you know, because, you know, you know, I I keep coming back to, um, you know, like, like when you watch a team like Vegas, when they came into the season, when they came into the NHL, I really think that how Vegas plays is how Blashill wants the team to play, but they don't have the players to do it. Um, you know, because it seems like in the preseason and the beginning of the of, of the season, they're they're tr- he's trying to have them do it, and then they just they don't have the players. You know, they don't have the defensemen that can get the puck up ice really quickly. You know, they don't have the defensemen. Uh, I mean, you know, they need help at forward too, but they they just don't have the defensemen to do that. Um, and so because of that, they're they're kind of stuck with what we see now. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a, like a really tough episode of chopped where he wants to have like actual ingredients yeah. and he opens the basket. Yeah. And it's like, you have a light bulb, uh, yeah. a banana peel and yeah. three vials that are unlabeled and two of them are poison. Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so accurate. It hurts. Yeah. All right. So I, I, I think that that's a, a good place to just kind of, uh, take a break and I, I think that we can expect that you know going forward what we ought to be able to to look at is Eiserman building a team that is very much like the Red Wings team that he knew could compete um, but I'm looking forward to talking to Alan next week and getting uh, really in depth in, into his time in Tampa and see how that that theory holds up um, and I'm sure that a lot of you are, are already have strong opinions about that so go ahead and throw those in the comments uh, and we'll uh, we'll discuss or if there's any kind of angles that we miss let us know fact check us whim radio add timeout hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the priceline app today your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, let's play. Um, that said, uh, since I'm still in control, I'm just going to go ahead and switch right over to reader questions. Um, there's only two questions that we kind of haven't already answered. Uh one of them, uh, Big Text D three hundred four, just says, uh, "How are you guys doing? Everyone hanging in there? Everything's going well." And also says, "Thanks for continuing the podcast. It's added some much needed normalcy to life lately." Uh, Big Text, thank you so much. And I will say that I am uh, honestly starting to struggle with the grind of every day, kind of feeling the same. Um, that is part of why this podcast is is so much 
and part of why we, we went to doing this weekly again is that this is a good way to kind of reach out and just and just contact have contact with other people and that's really important and mm. I do not feel ashamed of saying that but uh, I want to how are you, how are you doing Sarah most of the time I'm good and then they'll it's like changes a few times a day sometimes where I'll be like mm. in the morning somehow I'm still like reluctant to get up and quote go which is like walk downstairs and open my laptop but you know and then I it's like you get that little bit of a guilt spiral where you're like why are you complaining everyone has it so much worse and then you're kind of like well all right sun's out today's all right uh so it's it's just a kind of a mm-hmm. constant readjustment and trying to like take feelings and just like put them somewhere else that's not in your body because you don't want to have those right now because you have to like be on a zoom call um you know but I'm, I'm really glad that we're recording every week too uh you know just to talk about hockey with not only on twitter this seems kind of like a common thing from talking to other people like it seems like this past week is kind of like a turning point for a lot of people where it was like yeah, everything's fine. And then now it's like, everything's not fine. Like, you know, like we're almost kind of like coming to terms with the fact that this sucks, you know, in so many ways. Um, and I I talked about this before, but I don't think I talked about it on the podcast where I had a realization recently that, you know, as a teacher, there is literally one thing I like about teaching, which is interacting with the students. Now, I like it a lot. I mean, it, it makes up for everything else, but basically doing teaching this way um we have weekly google meets but they are optional and i understand why they're optional i actually support them being optional i i I totally understand why but as you can probably imagine most students just say okay great i don't have to do it awesome um and they are honestly literally just designed to be hey how you doing like like there's no work involved it's just how are you doing? How is everything going? Like, you know, do you need help with something? Can I, do you just need to talk, you know? And, and like, like it's such a good idea, but it, it does get disheartening when I log on and nobody shows up, you know? And I know it's not me. Like, I know it's not, I'm doing something wrong. Cause I talk to other teachers and, and students and I know that this is basically, you know, like nobody's showing up to these things. Um, but it's basically like if you took your job and you took everything you like about it away and you're left with all the stuff that sucks that, that, that that's not fun you know uh and and it, it definitely is starting to get to me um i'm trying to find ways to kind of get around that but it, it's it's tough um so i will say that i do uh also echo what jj said before that you know the the the, the question slash comment was very much appreciated it's nice to hear people say that this is helpful for them because yeah and then the other question, uh, Shanzi Pastor, uh, does COVID become precedent for a permanent shift in the NHL schedule? I've heard this being kicked around. Does this change in schedule set for future seasons and that the NHL season shifts to a December start and an August finish? I think it would be brilliant and put hockey front and center during the playoffs when there isn't any other sports on TV, but the best hockey would be played on the hottest parts, which would suck. Be interested to hear your folks' take. Um, forgetting baseball exists, but... Uh, Sarah, what uh, what are your thoughts on? Well, I was obviously I was really wrong about baseball earlier. So (laughs) if everyone could just forget baseball exists, that would be great. Um, I'm gonna say no way because money. Um, You know, they're not hockey and baseball are not going to want to compete. I mean, baseball has like way more money. Um, You know, but you just think about 
the way that like the city of Detroit is set up, they're right next to each other. Like you're, we barely have a fan base at all for either of those teams. <laughs> what are you going to do if they have to like, you have to pick one to go to, um, you know, and just the logistics of having the ice cold in the summer is really difficult. Um, especially if fans are allowed back in. I mean, it's not, it's not quite as hard if there's no like human <laughs> warmth in the, uh, the arena. Um, but I think there would be a significant cost to having to make, you know, produce game quality ice, playoff quality ice in the summer. So I'm going to say no, but I am also not an expert at diseases. So if scientists say to do it, then I'll say yes. If Steve Eiserman says to do it, I'll say yes. <laughs> otherwise, <laughs> otherwise, I'm going to say uh, yeah. we'll have a we'll have a weird one, you know, this coming season, and then next season we'll we'll start as usual ish. Well, it's a good thing that I am an expert at diseases. No, I'm just kidding. Um, and unfortunately, it's, it's not uh, it's not an option to stay in a Holiday Inn Express last night anymore. So. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I don't see that happening. Um, I do think that they're having next season start later could definitely happen. Uh, but I don't think it would be a full-time every season shift in schedule. I just I just don't think that works. Um, partially just because, you know, like, like the reader said, um, it is very hot. And obviously we have, you know, technology and stuff. But, you know, it's the, the ice conditions are not going to be great in August you know, in some of these places. Um, uh, so, yeah, I just um, I, I just don't see it happening. Well, I know a Leafs fan who writes about another team who is an expert on ice that we, that we could bring in to... I'm sorry, that is an inside joke that is not meant for any of the listeners. That was specifically for uh, people in our, our Slack. Um, and that particular person is going to be on this podcast, uh, the fifth of fucking never. Um <laughs> I'm sorry. Getting back to the the point of the question, um, aside from the heat thing, and uh, kind of, I, I have to to echo all all the thoughts. Um, the only other thing I'll add is that the the reason why there basically is no competition for summer outside of baseball um, is not because football doesn't work in the heat or basketball doesn't work in the heat. It's that summer vacation is an American pastime all its own. Um, if I have to, to, I mean, I, I would love the opportunity as a diehard hockey fan to, Oh, the kids aren't in school in July and this is when the playoffs are going on. Let's take a trip and, and, and do that. But I think that I'm, the exception. I don't. I don't think that that's what hockey could count on. And it's a very gate-driven league. Um, not having as many people in the stands because they're busy cramming their summer vacation into the two two of the biggest months of hockey season is not going to work out financially for them. That is a gigantic risk for them to take, and I don't see the the payoff actually coming for them in, in doing that. But I do think it was an interesting question, and I, I don't want you to feel badly that none of us think that it's a good idea. Oh, sure. Absolutely. So, yeah. All right. That, uh, that takes us out of your question. So, uh, Pete, I'm going to give you back the conch. All right. I will hold it aloft and not murder any of my friends. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long time since I read that book, so I don't remember. You're the only one wearing yet. glasses, so you're in trouble. Oh, no. Oh, I got to take them off. <laughs> For people listening, um, we love your mailbag questions, right? Um, 
it's it's genuine like i mean we always kind of say this but it's genuinely like our favorite part of the show to like answer these questions that you have um so i'm gonna put out a call for people to get back into asking weird questions all right <laughs> like obviously you, you you know you ask about the red wings ask about hockey but you can ask about anything else right just i mean obviously if it's too weird we might not answer it but um you know, long-time listeners, you know, you know what we're talking about, right? So, um, like we were saying before, we kind of need a new Tangretti versus 100 Ducks. Uh, or, you know what I'm saying, 100 Duck-sized Tangrettis. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, you know send, in, send in the weird ones. Uh, now, I know that in exactly one week I will be sorry that I said this. <laughs> <laughs> but for right now, I think it's, it's a good idea. Um, so before we wrap up, um, any last – I'm not even going to say hockey-related thoughts because, you know why, there's no hockey being played. Um, any last thoughts for either you, uh, Sarah, or JJ? My last thought is the breakup letter that the uh, the Charlotte <laughs> Checkers posted um, about uh, the Hurricanes, you know, not informing them of the breakup is – if you haven't read Evolution, please watch read that letter and think of what Taylor Swift song it might be because it's – <laughs> it's a it's a real hard breakup there. Um, my thought because I've been kind of chuckling at it all day. Did the uh, Charlotte Checkers wear short shorts and the Carolina Hurricanes wear t-shirts? I don't know. I mean, they're <laughs> apparently you know they're Carolina is now going with uh, was it Chicago, who is the who is or was the Vegas affiliate maybe. So there's uh, some cheating. There's some going on. JJ, any any last any last thoughts? Just uh. Take care of yourselves and each other out there, folks. Sounds good. Um, I can't think of a better way to wrap it up, so we're going to stick with that because I think that's fantastic. Um, So uh, on behalf of all of us, thank you so much for listening, and we will be back next week. And like JJ said, we will have a special guest. Um, We don't have too many episodes of WIM Radio with a guest, and this is going to be one of them, and it's going to be fantastic. Fantastic.